All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your promises to us. Now speak, speak courage to our hearts, even as we live in this anxious age. In Jesus' name, amen. So I ask you a question about a month and a half ago when we started on this topic. And here's what the question was. Can you be secure without being safe? Is our security, is our experience of life, can we live, can we live secure even when everything doesn't seem completely safe? So I want to do a little review today. We're going to walk back through some of the texts we've looked at over the last few weeks. And I want to start today with the passage that we've used really all along as our, as our theme passage, Matthew chapter 8. Now, if you want to follow along in a Bible, you can take one of the ones there in front of you. I'm using that same translation, or it'll be on the screens here. But Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. And we find this story. It says, and he got into the boat. Who is he? He is Jesus here. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he, Jesus, was asleep. And they, the disciples, went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. They were in danger. And they knew they were in danger. A lot of these guys were fishermen. They weren't beginners. They knew a storm. Verse 26, now this is Jesus' response. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? So what do you think? Let me pose their question to you. What sort of man is Jesus? And the follow-up to that question, can you trust him, can you trust Jesus, even when things no longer make sense to you, or when your plans fall apart, or when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What sort of man is he, and can we trust him? His words are these Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Well, I'll tell you why I'm afraid sometimes. Number one, life is dangerous. I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, this is the, uh, the great moment at the beginning of the, uh, of the kids' movie, Finding Nemo. I know all about this because my kids were the right age when that movie was out. When, uh, when Marlon is talking to his son and he says, what do we remember? This is before they swim out of the anemone. What do we remember? And he says, it's not safe. And he says, that's my boy. You know, he's not wrong. 
If you know the first part of the movie, it's because all of the other eggs got eaten by a barracuda. It's not safe. And so did coral. It's not safe. That's why I'm afraid sometimes. And here's another reason I'm afraid. People are crazy. Right? Yeah. They break into people's homes with hammers and, and they randomly shoot bullets through windows and cars and it's a little crazy. And here's another reason. None of us knows exactly how many days we have left. But let me follow those statements of reality with a question. Are the things I've listed reasons to be afraid? Well, let's pause on this for a moment, and let's, let's, let's go to a Bible story we talked about uh, earlier when we were in this series, and the story about Joshua. And it's obvious from the things that are said that Joshua was inclined to be afraid because of what lay in front of him. Now remember the condition for Joshua here. So for us, we just think of him as the hero at the end of the story. But, but you know, all of those heroes at the end of the story had the moment at the beginning of the story where they had to decide, am I going to follow and believe God or am I going to give in to fear? Well, why would he be afraid? I'll tell you why he's afraid. So Joshua was the second in command behind Moses. But Moses was the great man who spoke with God face to face. Joshua was just the assistant. Moses tried to bring the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And you know what? He didn't make it. They didn't get there. The great man failed. Or at least that's one way you could look at it. And now, all of the responsibility has fallen back on Joshua, and he's supposed to take them into the land. But he's got reason to be a little nervous about this, because 40 years ago, he said, let's go into the land, and they said, you're crazy, and they wanted to kill him. And now he's supposed to lead them in again. He had reason to be afraid. But here's what God said to him. Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Why do you tell someone twice in a very short amount of time to be strong and courageous? Because they're feeling weak and cowardly. That's why you do that. Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now let me suggest to you what I think is maybe one of the reasons God asks us to meditate on his word. 
is because if we don't, our minds get into these circles of fearfulness and these circles of worry and these cycles of distress. And if we're not injecting into that and breaking that cycle with the positive words of God, the words of encouragement, then we're going to take the input we get from the world, which is primarily negative, it's going to go around and around in our minds, and we're going to live fearful and small lives. But if we let God's Word in, if we meditate on what He's given us, then we can break those cycles. And it will help us to be prosperous and and to have good success. Verse 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Third time, just write in this section. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, some of you like to make to-do lists. You're very orderly and tidy, and I respect you for that. But some of you like a to-do list. There's a to-do list here. Number one, be strong. Number two, be courageous. Number three, be faithful to the way of living that God has revealed. That was his to-do list. Be strong, be courageous, be faithful. And I'll show you the way you need to go. But there's also a to-not-do list. Do you ever make any to-not-do lists? I think a lot of us would be a lot more efficient if we made as many to-not-do lists as we make to-do lists. Because the to-not-do list are the things that cut in and keep us from doing the to-do list. So here's the to-not-do list. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. This is what God said to him. And why? He said, because I'll be with you wherever you go. Well, that's all good and well for Joshua, I suppose. And, and it seems that he, in fact, did do the to-dos and did not do the not-dos. But does this apply to us? Can we take these words and apply them to ourselves? Could we be not afraid if we were confident Jesus was with us? I'm reminded of another text. This time it's Jesus himself specifically speaking. And it comes from Matthew chapter 28. And it begins in verse 16. Now this is after Jesus has been crucified and then has risen again and given them the message, I will meet with you in Galilee. And they've gone to Galilee. So verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that an interesting inclusion there? That even the 11, and maybe there were some others there as well, probably there were, but even in the whole of it, some of them are like, this just doesn't compute. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, we don't spend enough time on that particular line here because what comes next is called the gospel commission and and maybe we read it a lot and we think about it a lot because it's full of to-dos but but we really need to understand the first part in order to understand the second part the reason 
Jesus is sending the disciples on a gospel mission is because all authority is in him. And he has the right and the power to send his people out on mission. So he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's given another to-do list here. The to-do list here is, number one, go make disciples. And now the rest of them are kind of how you do that. Number two, baptize. Number three, teach. Number four, be faithful to the way of living that Jesus has commanded. That's interesting, the parallel there with Joshua, isn't it? Be careful to do all the things revealed in the law. And Jesus says, be careful to do all the things I've taught you. It matters. Our faithfulness matters. God has revealed what we need. We just need to receive it and seek to be faithful to what he's given us. So, go make disciples, baptize, teach, be faithful to what I have told you. Now, there's not a to-not-do list here, but there is a promise, just like in Joshua. In Joshua, he says, I am with you uh, wherever you go. In Matthew, Jesus says, I am, all, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so let's think about this for a second. This passage is Jesus speaking specifically to the disciples. And so we could hear it and say, okay, Jesus promised to be with the disciples, but, but does he promise to be with us as well? Well, let me suggest this. Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. Yet none of the disciples are still here, right? And the age is not over yet, is it? So there's a clear implication here that this calling and this promise is not just for these 11 or however many were there, but in fact it is a larger calling to all who are going to believe in Jesus. Now Jesus knew they were going to need the knowledge of his presence because what they were going forward to do was going to be difficult. He told them this before, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus said to them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. See, Jesus knows people are crazy. He knows this. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it, does he? So it's going to be really hard sometimes. But he goes on, verse 26. So have no fear of them. 
For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of much more value than many sparrows. So here's the word. Here's the word of Jesus to his disciples. You're going to have trouble sometimes. You're going to go through hard times. Don't think this strange. This is reality. But you are not to fear those things that everyone else fears. Instead, your fear and hope is in the God who has the power to set things right. So put your confidence there. Don't be afraid of those things. Now, we might say again, well, okay, but this is kind of specific to the disciples, right? He's talking to the disciples. Well, actually, it opens up. Jesus opens this up, verse 32. He says, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This, this opens this up because, because based on this, if I'm an acknowledger of Jesus, then this description of the trials I will face sometimes is true, but also true is the reality that in the hour of trial, Jesus will be with me. And his Holy Spirit will give me the words I need to speak or the things I need to do in that hour. But the reality is, when I mean, we look at our lives, it's so easy to be beaten down by life and by relationships and by the media, and by the upcoming elections, and to become fearful. It's easy for this to happen. Now this is an aside, just a little aside here because, because election day is Tuesday coming up, but here's a little aside. I, no, this is not the most important election in the history of the nation. Oh, come on, it's a midterm. Give me a break. Okay, yeah, the election of Abe Lincoln, that's, that pales in comparison to this. No, the country went to war with itself over that. Come on. These are fear tactics. Do you see it? Do you see how everyone is trying to scare you? They're terrible. They're worse. Are we going to play that game? Are we going to live in that? Now, there's no promise that everything works out and that everything goes forever. In fact, you read the Bible, yeah, it breaks down sometimes. But according to Jesus, that's no reason to be afraid. Maybe that's enough on that. Maybe it's too much. But we shouldn't be fearful. Isaiah has a word to us and for us. 
And by that, meaning two things. One, we need to receive it ourselves. And number two, this is one of our jobs in the world. Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4. Strengthen the weak hands. And make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. That's our hope. Our hope isn't in who wins the election. Our hope is in God. That doesn't mean don't be involved. That doesn't mean don't vote. No, do, vote. Be involved, care. But don't be crushed. Because there's something more. You see, our job is not to contribute to the chaos and the fear-mongering. Our job is to speak hope to anxious hearts wherever we find them and direct the gaze of the people from the mess that is reality to the hope that is Jesus. That's our job. Now, we have to do it ourselves first. That's why I say this passage is both to you and for you. First, you got to let your hands be strong and firm up your knees and not have that anxious heart, but to be strong and not fear and trust that there is God and he will one day set things right. And then, once you've been fortified with that, now you're ready to go out and help others. Do you remember the stories that we spent some time on of Ahaz and Hezekiah, the two kings of Judah? Ahaz was actually Hezekiah's father. And they both faced in their lifetime, during their reign, armies that were stronger than them. And in their hour of trial, Ahaz refused to trust God. And in that hour, he sought to make a deal by earthly means. And in the long run, his decision cost him, and it cost Judah very dearly. But Hezekiah, on the other hand, in the hour of his trial, turned towards the Lord, and he received deliverance. So here's the question for you out of those stories. Where are you turning in your hour of need, in your day of dread, in your night of fearfulness? Where are you turning? You see, here's reality. We need a champion. We need a hero. We need a savior who is bigger than our problems and who loves us and desires to help us. A hero who, who would be with us always even when our boat is sinking in the storm. We need a hero who can both calm the storm but also raise the dead. Wouldn't it be great if we had someone like that? Because then maybe, if we knew he loved us, and if we knew he had the power to save us and resurrect us, then maybe, just maybe, we could be not afraid. So you know, we do have someone like this.
right? You know this, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He came because of love for us, and belief in him gives life. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Who is this one who came? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, this, this one we're talking about, he's powerful. He's been here since the beginning. Everything that's made, he was a part of. He came into the world. He was light, and darkness could not defeat him. He's powerful, and nothing overcomes him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now think about this for a second. Sometimes we think about God at the beginning and Jesus there creating the world and then they're just kind of like, oh, well, I hope it goes well. And they're like, oh, no, look at all the things. No, if, if what is being said here in Colossians is correct, not only does he create in the beginning, but he continues to create in the midst of his creation. He creates thrones and authorities. And he sends messengers. And he creates movements of hope. And he creates people who believe and make a difference in their day. Verse 17, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, the first. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? That's a pretty awesome description of a hero. This, this Jesus, if I can believe these words, definitely sounds bigger than our problems. And it seems that he loves us because he came to save us but is he able to save me even when my boat goes down? John 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. All of this is to say that we do indeed have the hero and the champion that we need, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
Matthew 8, verse 26, and he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Well, what do you say? What sort of man is Jesus? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. And in fact, they're going to, they're going to do one song for us. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to say a couple more words. And then they'll do a couple more songs after that. But, but what do you say? What sort of man is Jesus? The author of Hebrews has a thought to share on this, both about who Jesus is and what Jesus means to us in a practical sense. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest, he's talking about Jesus here, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hang on to our belief. Let us be strong in our faith. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus Jesus isn't like, wow, I just don't get it. I just don't know what is wrong with them. No, he knows exactly. And he knows exactly the experience. He knows what it's like to go down the road you've been down and to go down the road you're about to go down. There's a to-do in this. We talked about the to-do list. There's a to-do here. And the to-do is hold fast your confession. Hang on to your faith. Don't give up now. Be strong and courageous. Why? Because Jesus is strong. Because Jesus is sympathetic towards you. Because Jesus came to save you. And because Jesus loves you. This is why we're not afraid. In fact, in Jesus, we live with confidence not just in the face of the world, but we live in confidence even in the sight of heaven. For the text goes on, giving us one more to-do. Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. All right, I concede this, whether this is the most important election in the history of the country or not. I concede this. This is a time of need. But we of all people must not shrink back in fear. Instead, we must be strong and courageous and draw near to the throne of God, not with fearfulness, but with confidence. Jesus is Lord of all. We are his disciples. Be not afraid. 